Hello, I'm here with Sam Clements today, actor and director. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, all good. All good in the hood. Good. Um, one of the reasons I've decided to make this podcast was coming from Limerick, I always felt like it would be impossible to move to London. And there's so many different ways people get into what they want to do, whether you be an actor, writer, director, or comedian. So I wanted to ask people their journeys. So I was wondering, basically, let's start from the beginning. Um, <laughs> Good place. When, yes. Good place. <laughs> when did you realize you wanted to be an actor? At what age would you say? I mean, from sort of as long as I can remember, because um, my my father uh, was a writer and a producer. Um, and so I grew up sort of in the industry. Um, so I didn't go to lots of sets all the time and whatever, but we had lots of... Uh, you know, directors and stunt people and whatever coming over for dinner, my parents' friends and whatever. So I was sort of um, subjected to the to the film and television industry, you know, immediately. So that's impossible not to be romanticised about. Do you know what I mean? It's so exciting. Um, and um, I think I realised quite quickly that I wasn't a writer. And I think because my dad being a writer, I didn't particularly want to... I just didn't think I, I would... I would be able to do anything remotely close to what he'd done because he sort of you know was at the uh the birth of television in this country certainly and what they were doing some of the television series they they did really you know still left or leave an indelible legacy now so i was like well i don't know if i want to st- i just thought maybe there'll be something else and then i saw star wars <laughs> and then thought i want to be a jedi and was like how do i do that and I realised quite quickly that involves acting. And I kind of thought, well, that that would be great. I don't know what to do or, or, or you know, um, how to go about it. But they obviously at school had, you know, school plays and things like that and um, drama. And I seemed to sort of do quite, quite well at it. Um, but I never really, interestingly, I sort of never really had any lead parts or anything at, at school because we had someone in the year below me and someone in the year above me who were both professional child actors and so all of the parts <laughs> went to them okay. uh, every year so I was sort of chorus for most of the time but I remember I did a production of Oh What a Lovely War um, by Thornton Wilde no, Thorn- no Willie Russell what am I talking about Willie Russell um, and uh, I was playing part of a duke in it and um, was it a, duke? No, a, a sergeant I can't remember I, yeah a, like a military I can't remember the part now um, but I remember my dad coming along and saying to me before, I'm going to tell you if I think it's worth you pursuing oh, wow. or not, because I don't want you to sort of waste your time or also, you know, there's a lot of rejection in the industry. And obviously at like 12 or 13 or however old I was around there, I didn't really understand that at all. I was just incredibly nervous. Yeah. That he was coming, he was going to tell me whether I could do this or not. And uh, luckily, uh, he came to, came to me afterwards and said, "Yeah, I think you've got a really good shot. I thought you were really, really good in it." And then, you know, I ended up doing um, um, the only other part I did outside school was uh, Dodger in Oliver Twist, the musical. And um, I shared that with another boy, so we shared it each each night. But that was probably the only kind of lead I'd had. But and and you know, and then I was at um, doing theatre studies at uh, A-levels and stuff like that. And that's a little bit more academic than, than anything else. But, yeah, I just... I, because I, 
I love sport, but it wasn't really my thing. My thing was movies and watching films more than anything else. So um, being uh, the son of um, Brian Clemens, he kind of gave me an unknowing film history, uh, you know, upbringing without knowing that that's what was happening. So I'd watch films from, you know, the 20s and earlier, uh, you know, silent films, you know, Harold Lloyd and, you know, and, you know, early 50s films and, you know, John Ford and you know, Billy Wilder and all these movies that maybe kids my age might not have watched or not be exposed to and foreign films as well. Um, so I just, my, my love affair was with film and I was like, that's all I want to do. I just want to be in movies or be around films or, you know, how do I do that? And so I just pursued acting really. And I was very lucky to get a place at drama school. Yeah, that's great that your dad was so supportive. Did you feel that there was pressure as well because you were Brian Clements' son? Yeah, and I still I still have that today. Yeah. <laughs> that never really goes away, I think, being the, the son of someone who was so prolific. Um not in a bad way. You can I think people either sort of reject that or you go to it and I massively celebrate it and think he was, you know, amazing and uh an incredible person and you know he's still my my you know, he's no longer with us but he's still my hero today of what he managed to achieve and um and and to do and followed his dream but yeah he was um very supportive and and since well, once I got into drama center incredibly supportive and throughout the rest of my career always came to see everything I did whenever he possibly could there were a few plays that he couldn't because I think we were in Scotland or somewhere um but he'd always try and come and see me and whatever um I was in and support me but um not really. I think it. I don't feel the pressure in in the sense that because I'm doing something different to him, um, it's a nice icebreaker for people, and, and I get people that are huge fans of a lot of his work. So it's quite. It it it, it is a conversation starter certainly, and um, it's interesting to see how many people still remember what he he wrote and produced and directed and things like that. So, yeah, and I've been lucky enough to appear in some of his things, and direct some of his things. So that's been fun as well. Like. Your upcoming Doctor Who? No, that's that's. Uh, but the company, uh, Big Finish, who I uh, direct for, uh, audio company. He, uh, he, his TV show, or he was a writer of the TV show and um, uh, the Avengers, um, and very much so from the beginning and through uh, Honor Blackman, um, her period. But very much, he sort of really took over and was the brainchild of the Avengers when Emma Peel, um, which was played by Diana Rigg. Uh, came in he he was sort of responsible amongst others for casting her um and they've done that as an audio drama with big finish so um and i've appeared in one of those um and uh yeah and one of his he did a play about sherlock holmes he did a play about sherlock holmes versus jack the ripper uh called holmes and the ripper and they did that as an audio drama because um uh, nicholas briggs who plays sherlock in it we did it on stage and so i reprised my role that i did on stage and he played uh, sherlock holmes so that was kind of fun doing you know dad's play as a, as a as an audio drama as well okay did you audition for many drama schools no i mean i i i sort of i was very nervous i think because i didn't i didn't i hadn't done a great deal at school um that i it was my dream to do it but i sort of hadn't had the validation by really playing any parts in 
you know the school plays and things I, i've done them i did them at you know theater studies and things like that but there was only four of us on that course so you're always going to get a shot to do something but i always felt a little bit more inferior because we had the, this kid above mm-hmm. me and the year below me who was sort of you know doing incredibly well and they would get most things um so when i applied i only applied to a few and um and actually hilariously drama center was a mistake okay. on my ucas form i i don't know how i'd done it but i'd applied and i got the uh, uh, a letter back saying and it was for central school of speech and drama and they said do you do you really want to apply for the puppetry course i was like what and i think i accidentally ticked the wrong box instead of the acting one i tick puppetry god knows what i was thinking so they said well the the, the, um the auditions for for central uh i think were up that year or or for that term so i had to pick um a drama school or another university between a and d and i'm not joking i literally opened the ucas but went put my finger down that was drama center oh cool it was honestly it was was totally yeah (laughs) in in that, that yeah it really was i think and uh and I applied to it and I didn't know really much about it. And I actually think that worked in my favor because I think yeah. if I'd, um, there was a documentary about Drama Center that was out at the time. And if I'd seen it, I think I would have run for the hills. It looked terrifying. But, um, you know, it was, yeah. With the Drama Center, do you feel like you age wise were ready to go to the Drama Center? And just tell me about the whole experience. God. Um, I think that's different, difficult. Uh, are you Are you ready? I mean, how old were you? I was 18, so I was very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I came out at, uh, just basically just turning 21. Um, so I think I was ready because there was nothing else at school that really um, that I, I really enjoyed, like academically or anything. I was okay at school. I wasn't great. I didn't feel like an academic. I felt very much like a kinetic learner. I needed to someone to show me how to do something, then I could do it. I was quite good at sports and... Um, I was quite good in, in things like uh, classical civilization and bit, not too bad at English literature and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I just I never really felt like I fitted. And, and theatre studies was the only thing that I, I kind of liked and in at the time. Um, and even then, one of my teachers at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, she, I don't think, particularly liked me because I wasn't academic. Um, and maybe because I was the son of Brian Clemens, possibly. I don't know. Um, but... I felt that I needed I needed something else. I felt like I was missing some form of education that I, I, I you know, other people were excelling at other things and I hadn't really found my thing. So maybe, you know, Christopher and Yat and Reuven and all the tutors on that panel might have seen a hunger or willingness to, to be open and malleable to do whatever they wanted. I wasn't coming with baggage, I suppose. I wasn't coming with... Um, I mean... You know, I'm sure they laughed, laughed enormously. My, my, one of my speeches at the the audition, because I hadn't, no one had told me really what to do or what not to do. So I chose a piece of Alan Bennett, um, and I decided to put a comment. But the play was, I think it was a, I think it was a short play, um, but it was playing an old man, like a sixty year old man in a chair, going, "All right, love, how you doing?" You, yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. So I chose that, and then you had to choose something from there. There, they had a, a list of speeches, and and I chose a piece of Molière, and I um, I did my speech. I, I turned up, and I had no idea, and um, I walked into the room, 
and I was called in for my audition and it was literally in a church and you were literally stood on the altar basically and there was a panel of 12 and I was not prepared for that at all so I was immediately you know taken aback taken aback is 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 light light yeah. way of saying it yeah and um and I and Christopher Fetters at the time was now what are you going to do for us today and I was like oh, I'm going to do a piece from Alan Bennett okay and um take your time Okay, and I just started it, and I kind of relaxed into it, and I started thinking, "Oh, this is going all right. This is quite cool. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm remembering it all. I'm kind of, you know, it's, I'm I've seen that I'm hitting all the bits, and you know, it kind of was as good as it was going to be given the pressure. Am I allowed to swear on this show? Yeah, go for it. Great. And then he, <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> was a deathly silence as I finished, and he went, "Well, you fucked that up, didn't you?" <laughs> and I just was like. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, God. Because the next one, I knew I didn't know that well. I was finding it really hard to learn because it was rhyming couplets. And every other line, I go, da-dum, 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 line. Da-dum, 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 line. And I kept doing that pretty much the whole speech. I felt like I totally crumbled. Yeah. Um, and then a little voice from the panel, which was Yat Malmgren at the time, I said, well, you know, that was much better. <laughs> and I was like, that was horrible that was a nightmare but i think what they saw was you know um someone that really didn't have an idea of where they were placed or what they should be doing maybe had a bit of aptitude for being able to play activities and be able to you know change the quality of what they're doing and maybe you know but i really was very very green i really didn't know anything at all um of what that process meant we'd obviously studied stanislavski but Studying Stanislavski academically and then doing it practically are two very, very different things. And yeah, um, and, yeah. and I learned that enormously at Drama Centre very, very quickly. Were you part of that Drama Centre era where if you made it to the third year, you were, you know, it was insane to make it to the third year of drama school? Not quite, because we become part of a university by then. So basically when I started, the fees were very high and um, uh, or fairly high. Um, and then after the first term, Drama Centre um, twinned with Lancaster University, which brought all the fees down. So it made it more, you know, um, available for people from other uh, backgrounds and and for us as well. You know, it was it was it was a lot of money. Um, I remember at the time. Um, so I think that didn't give Christopher and Ruben the ability to get rid of as many students as they would like, because I think the university needed to have a certain amount passing through each year. Um, however, saying that, a lot of people did leave. We started probably with 35, 37, something like that. Mm. And I think we ended up with under 30, 28, 29, something like that. So quite a few people dropped out or left or some asked to leave. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was like sort of emotional boot camp um it was like going to the marines for your feelings yeah and your physicality not so much fitness but just working on yourself as a as a as a, an instrument to be able to use and work out what how you can use your body your voice uh your your mind to express whatever you want or or what you needed to work on and, you know, so you were being exposed to some incredible ideas and, and you know, life-changing things that, you know, would, you know, I know things about people in my year that probably their best friends and family don't know about them um, because you're sharing enormous 
amounts of vulnerability and vulnerability with each other that you know um really locks you together as as you know as colleagues and friends forever really because you know you've, you've gone through it's such an intense and when we say intense it was 10 in the morning to 9 in the evening you know every yeah. day pretty much i mean if if you were rehearsing a play and you weren't in it you'd go home at 5:30 maybe or you'd or you wouldn't you'd be rehearsing things that you needed to do and that was 5 days a week and it was very 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 full on um yeah i mean i don't remember really going out that much like you'd think at university all my mates were going out getting drunk and don't me wrong we did go out and, and party but just nowhere ne- you just didn't have the time you yeah. just had to work 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 and you know but i i absolutely loved it and i think it's really the reason i have this drive to continue to get things done and to work is 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 i remember in the first week um i was commuting from my parents which was in bedfordshire which is not horrendously far but it's a good hour and 20 minute journey and when you're doing that to get there at 10 a.m and then you get home about 11 and you eat and then you get up again after a week i basically just or two weeks i think i just sort of collapsed and didn't come in for the last day or two because i was just exhausted and we, we we had to rethink everything and then i moved in with my grandma who was a little bit closer she was in watford still it was a long journey in because it was the whole northern line to get there um and driving to the edgeware to edgeware to to then jump on the tube to get there and then um after again six months of that i was like i can't or less than that three four months of that i was like i can't do this and we were very lucky that um, my my uh, dad had a place in in paddington that he used for work and i basically just commandeered the that apartment uh, <laughs> for okay. the duration of drama center really to, to so i could be close um and and you know because you you know they're just such long days such long days yeah do you think it's necessary to go to drama school um it's a very interesting question because i think you know the most successful actor at the moment and the only actor that can open a movie the only actor is leonardo dicaprio and he did not go to drama school um now he clearly has done training after that, after starting. I think when he worked on A Bronx Tale with uh, De Niro, really realised that he needed some training, and I think he went and did that. Um, I, I, it's difficult. I think it helps enormously. I think it depends on, on you as a person, what you're capable of, what you, what you're, uh, what you want out of it. Um, some people, I think it's very, very difficult and can be a tough experience and maybe might push them away from it but then the industry is very very unfair um it you get a lot of knockbacks a lot of waiting around you know a lot of uh poverty <laughs> while searching for work getting really close to the job and then not getting it and mm-hmm. so the industry is not fair and i think drama school if it is difficult um is a good representation of kind of what the industry is preparing you for that for continual disappointment but when the highs come they are amazing but i do think um training is great because it helps you understand it i think the the important thing is you get to act every day yeah you get to do it every day in some capacity whether it's voice work whether it's movement whether it's doing scene work whether it's meisner whether it's stanislaski you know whatever it might be um strasburg whatever uh you're, you're you're working in you're getting to work on yourself and i think that the problem with actors is that once you leave, 
um, you don't have that opportunity to act every day. A composer can always go and compose something or write some music or write a song or depending on how they're feeling or a writer can go and write a play or a film or a you know, or a book or whatever, but an actor, it's very difficult to go home and just do a bit of Hamlet on your own because you need an audience with which to bounce off or another actor to work with. I mean, I think um, that's why there's been a huge um, sort of uprising now of, of self-tape classes and there are a lot of classes that are available now and a lot of actors go to classes and I, because I think it's good practice to just keep working the muscle because I think when you feel like you haven't done it for a long time, you feel like you can't do it anymore and it builds insecurity. It's, a, it's an industry that is full of insecurity and that is only going to fuel it more if you're out of it more. So at least if you're practicing it, um, I think it keeps you more sane that you can do this and that you have you know, a, a, as good a chance as anyone else because, you know, as I said, the industry is not fair. There are amazing people out there that uh, are not working anywhere near the amount they are. You know, there are incredible actors out there that haven't had that break. And there are also terrible actors, that as we know. They've yeah. had that break. And it's, you know, and I think that, um, you know, it's, I think Denzel Washington said something about it, that it's, um, yes, it's luck and timing and all those things, but it's also being prepared for when that break comes. And if that break comes, that you get an, op an opportunity to show what you can really do, you're prepared to give everything to that part, to that film, whatever you're going to do. Uh, and hopefully that piece of work will do well. And that's the only thing you have no control over. You could be wonderful in something that's terrible and never work again, but you can be terrible in something that's you know, a huge success and work again and again and again because of your association with that franchise, with that, um, uh, you know, with that play, with that film, with that TV series, whatever it is. What is your experience with that? Have you ever been in something that uh, is really, really terrible and you've had to be like, oh no, what am I going to do? And have you stuck with it or have you left? Oh God, no, I've, I've been in some terrible things. Terrible because, you know, I think <clears throat> if you're lucky enough to, 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 and I've worked in some great places and some terrible things as well, terrible places. But I think if you're lucky enough to... Um, choose your work you're you're winning you're winning at life if you can be turning stuff down because you don't want to do it artistically um but when you start out um and even later you know you might need the money and if you've made a decision that you want to be an actor and you want to work as an actor um you know and you get offered something that's you know terrible like a terrible advert or or a corporate or you know or maybe a you know a, a, a a low budget film that the script's not brilliant but you're you know a big part in it i always think you're going to learn something even if it's bad do you know what i mean yeah. um and i've i've learned i've learned a lot from everything i've done even the good ones but so much the bad experiences because you really learn what not to do and you're watching other people that work in go god i just i would never do that and it reaffirms also again your training or your your process or or what you do next to people that don't know what they're doing um it's a little frustrating obviously and i've, I've stuck with you know some things that i've been in i always if i'm going to do something i'll commit to it 100 percent. and even if it's terrible i will try and take care of my end so my part the thing i'm going to do i'm going to just throw everything at it to try and make it as logical believable as entertaining and as truthful to myself and to the to the part as i can irrespective of the material because 
the problem is is that sometimes if you're in something that's terrible and you start feeling you're going to feel that it's terrible but if you start allowing that to affect your performance it comes across yeah and if it's on film it's there forever what if you have um, a director you don't agree with oh, um <laughs> tough question it's very difficult um because you know this industry is about ego and managing ego um your own as well as others um and i think that i've certainly worked with directors that i've disagreed with and i don't um agree with their uh, or their 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 vision the problem is like you can't i can't change their vision if if i'm a part of the play the, the play is a whole the story is king and i'm a pawn in that story uh whether you're the lead or you're you know you're not um you're a small part um but personally <laughs> i just question them about it and if they can't give me a logical reason for doing what they want them to do I won't do it. I'll be like, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I can logically back that up with a reason for why I'm doing that. But if you want me to just turn over there and do that or pick that up or, you know, say it this way, and there is no psychological reason for doing that or any reason that that is, you know, driving the story forward, then I'll be like, well, then I'm going to do it the way I want to do it because that's it's a collaboration at the end of the day it's sort of if i'm as a director if i'm hiring actors i'm hiring them and their talents and i kind of want their input you know um and if you dictate it like that and you want people to stand up there sit down there move over there do all this then you might as well be directing animation because then you can control that but if you're hiring actors you've got to you know like anything you've got to embrace their creativity and hope that their creativity with yours create something better together like i never if i'm working with that to tell them what to do i try and see what they bring because they might come up with something that's way better than i would have thought of in the first place or certainly a different direction which might be more interesting is there a director you've worked with that you felt really nurtured what you wanted to do and you came out with something great yeah loads i mean yeah and sadly there are not that many out there i have to say i think that um you know i've worked with a lot of directors but not many that understand how to talk to actors um or how to get the best from them um i remember uh peter gill uh when i worked with him at the royal shakespeare company he was wonderful and he had been an actor so he understood the process um he was very intellectual but he was he was lovely and very nurturing about the the space feeling safe uh, another again uh, at the at the RSC was uh, Bill Alexander who did King Lear and he was such a sort of a, a fantastic psychological director and I had so much fun in that I really felt that I came out of that knowing the ins and outs of that character and that journey that we were on and continually discovering it um <clears throat> they're the, the sort of um two that stick out for me um currently um um, there are others but they're the first two that i just was like wow um and even at you know even at drama school you know um you know working with christopher fettis you know he he, there's no one on earth like him i mean there is a reason that anthony hopkins based hannibal Lecter on him because he is like that and Mm -hmm. he's terrifying but he's brilliant and he inspires you to be better um even if maybe the product is not the best it, it inspires you to be the best um 
but yeah, God, I'm sure after I finish this, I'll think of of, of others. But of yeah, <laughs> but they're but they're the first two, and I think I suppose the first the things that come to your mind are, you know, the right ones. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Did you finish drama school and have an agent coming out of drama school? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, I again, I sort of, I feel nowadays you're more in the place where you can, you have. Um, a little bit more training, I think, into what the industry is going to be about because of social media, because we're being exposed to what everyone's feelings are about it, what the protocol is and how to approach casting directors or agents because they put they put things out there about how to be in a casting, what to do in an audition, what we're looking for in this, which you didn't we didn't really have that before. Um, yes, the Internet was here, but it wasn't anywhere near what it is now um so i didn't really have an idea so my dad was represented by an agent and he was a friend of the family and um and obviously i knew him and got on really well with him and he had lots of great um uh clients um but and i i i was offered another agency that was at the time not knowing it i should have said yes to them um they probably would have been a better fit for me straight away and um might have got me in some doors that I would never have been able to get into. I said no because I wanted to go with the family agent that I knew. Um, And, you know, bless him. Um, It was, was, he's a lovely man, but um, I'd come out of drama school and and I did quite well, I think, at Drama Centre and and had a few offers. And I, I didn't get a single audition in the first six months. How did you deal with that kind of instability? Did you have moments of self doubt? All the time. I mean, continuously. And also the hardest thing is that you're watching your peers starting to book work and get things. You're like, oh, my God, like I, I, well, it was exciting. You're like, well, that will be me. That will be me. And then slowly, the longer it goes on, you're like, that's that's not going to be me. So I was like, well, I've, I've got to I, I think I've got to change. I don't think I can stay with this agent, which was really difficult because it was, you know, <laughs> yeah, we've been on holiday together. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, luckily I had another agent that had offered me representation at the time Um, I went back and um, he said yeah absolutely I'd love to still take you on which was great and got me auditioned straight away and I got into the rooms uh, that I was wanting to get into and started booking some jobs and um, you know uh, that was incredibly um, career affirming and life affirming but like anything they don't last forever and you have periods where you don't work for sometimes long periods and you do feel like god no one you know i i i i'm obviously rubbish i'm obviously terrible at this and you know i I've, I've got nothing to give and i'm you know <laughs> i'm uh you know maybe i i i've over you know shot this and i should be in a different industry maybe i should stop doing this because i'm not booking it or i'm getting close but i'm not getting it or no one's seeing me anymore and it becomes it's a continual bat- battle against self-doubt, but it's also understanding your casting and what's uh, on trend at the moment, what 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 things are being made, what you're going up for, what you're not going up for. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it, you know it's a total roller coaster. But I think when when it's great, it's the best job in the world, and it's amazing. The highs are the highest, and when it's when it's not, it it's the lowest job in the world. It's very very lonely. Because it's only you. Do you know what I mean? And what was your first major high after drama school? Gosh. Um, uh, my first 
My f- gosh, I mean, <laughs> it is a tough. <laughs> well, I suppose you look at your first jobs, don't you? That's your yeah. first high, and my first high was, and it quickly to become a low. So this is quite fun. I got cast in a commercial for uh, Nissan, and uh, it was a big commercial, and I was being flown out. I've got flown out to Barcelona for three days, three four days. It's great, you know, big big budget. Um, and I went out there, and I was really—I was just a waiter in it, and I'd done all my research and really, you know, sort of worked on how I was going to hold the plate, what I was going to maybe wear, and my physicality and all that stuff, you know, first, you know, very green out of drama school. And um, and it got to the morning. They're like, "Yeah, Sam, we're going to shoot your stuff uh, a bit later. It's, yeah, we're going to do it a little bit later. Um, yeah, we're just um, uh." turning the camera around so we're not actually shooting your bit now we're going to do it again later and later and it kept being pushed back until they went sam we're not actually we decided to cut it now i got out there but i never ever got in front of the camera and that was my first professional job i got paid but i didn't get paid fully the full amount but i i got a job um but i didn't get used so it was sort of yeah oh (laughs) within like hours of, of being on set or being near the set not on the set but near it you know and then um, the next job was a was a TV job, um, a series called Family with Martin Kemp and Jamie Foreman, um, directed by David Drury, who was also brilliant, great director, and and at the time shot on thirty five millimeter, so it was shot on film. And I remember doing a sequence where they had to follow me um, from my back, and it was a big sort of one take sequence, and you know I had to hit all the marks because they were following me as the journey through to everyone to introduce all these people. Uh, and that was incredibly thrilling to, to be part of that. And, you know, and everyone in that, in that room now is, is, is are sort of very well known actors or doing incredibly well and done lots of movies or become famous and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, that was really, really exciting. Really, really exciting. That was probably my biggest high straight away, you know, and on a big, big TV series. Okay. What has been your favorite character that you've played? Oh god, I mean over the years it changes, but I uh after my dad passed away, they were doing a production of um my dad's play Homes in the Ripper and uh the producer decided it, it would be um great to cast me as Sherlock in sort of a tribute to him as well. And I was like no one is ever going to cast me as Sherlock Holmes ever again. Like, this is not... I've never, I'd never really thought of myself that way. I don't think I'd probably be cast that way. So I knew it would be an incredible challenge. And because it was like an eight-month tour all around the country, um, I had so much fun playing that part and understanding... He's the only part that I've played that I miss, and I'd love to do it again. Like I miss playing other parts and doing other parts, but I really, I really started to understand his psychology because to understand him is very difficult because he's such um, an intellectual character mixed with feeling, but very much, um, you know, uh, a thought based character. And so understanding his thought process takes a lot of work. And, you know, I felt like I was getting it towards the end of the run and I was continually finding more every time i did it um so i'd I, yeah I, I would love to play sherlock holmes again but i'm very i feel very privileged privileged to have played him once one thing i wanted to ask you was what do you do right before you go on stage to prep 
we can use Sherlock as an example if you'd like. So you have, I don't know, how long you take, an hour, ten minutes. Right before you're going on stage to the audience, what do you do? Gosh. Um, so let's say curtains at 7.30, yeah? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll make sure I'm back at the theatre about 5.30. Yeah, just to make sure you're definitely there. Or 5, 5.30. Just to be able to have, you know, a cup of tea or a coffee or something and a chat with the actors that are there and, you know, just sort of, you know. And then probably about 6, um, I, because the half is at 6.55, um, so you're only allowed to warm up or be on stage between, well, any time earlier than that, but up till 6.55. So I usually would uh, go on stage. I would, um, I would firstly maybe take a little wander and just check my props in the right place. All my all my bits first, because I've had actors forget things and not bring on letters, and I have to read an imaginary letter or leave and make it one up. Um, so I'd go and check where everything is, um, and then go on stage, and then maybe do just a little bit of a physical, just 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 to sort of relax a little bit, because I've usually, if I'm acting during the week, I'll go to the gym a couple of times, so I don't run around and get really hot and like. Um, physical because I need I, I need to reserve that I think for for the performance but I make sure I kind of stretch and make sure I'm sort of loose loose a little bit more do you know what I mean not not more like a yoga stretching type thing I would say and then I will just basically do a vocal warm-up uh, which involves something called uh, the vocal gym where I just go through all the different sounds um, all the different plosives fricatives um, and I've done that bef- uh, for years but I really took a long time on it with Sherlock because I realized that with him you just can't trip up over your lines he can he has to be the dialogue was very verbose so you just had to be able to have total command of the language because if you tripped up over anything at all um it would diminish your status so I would do that for sort of half an hour 25 minutes half an hour um and then I would pretty much walk some of the scenes and run the dialogue for me I just run it just so I've said it, so it's I've done it. So like a muscle memory, it's there. It's been done once, and I know that um, I've said the lines today. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't know why I do that, but I run through most of it if I can uh, at speed to make sure I've got it all and just whether I'm moving to. Uh, and then I might check my props very quickly again and go and get changed. Okay. Do you have any advice? for people that want to get into the industry in the next couple of years? Gosh. Um, well, I think the difference now is that you... You can go to the industry in a way that you couldn't do before. Like, you can create, like you're doing now, a podcast and create something that might become hugely successful and now you're in and people want you. Um, or a YouTube channel or whatever it might be. So you have the facility, unlike any time before, to create something that could become successful. So you don't need to wait the same way that you did before. But I would say to anyone that's wanting to do it, um, I think you've got to do it because you you really want to do that thing every day. I think you want to, you want to get up and do that every day. If you're wanting to do it because you want to get famous or you want to get rich um or any of those sort of accolades uh or awards or whatever then 
I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I think that if you love acting, you love acting. And so, or if you love directing or you love writing, I think just do it. Just doing the thing that you want to do and, and throwing yourself in as much as you possibly can. You know, apply to all, all the drama schools. Um, you know, a, 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 apply to or do classes or do foundation courses or whatever you need to do, but just keep pushing through it. And also the other thing is you've got to be prepared to stay in it. Um, what do, I think, you, what yeah, do you think's kept you going? Oh God, uh, what's kept me going? I think um, <laughs> I think I'm quite ambitious as a person. I love uh, I love making things. I love um, I love acting and I love uh, you know working with people. But I also love creating something and having a thing at the end, whether that's a CD or a movie or a, or or a piece of theatre that you can watch and sit down. And I, I love creating a story. Um, and I think that that never stops. I also, the other reason I like doing it is I do, you know, I've, I've, I've in the last, God, it's probably nearly, what are we now? Yeah, probably nearly 10 years, maybe a bit less, but I've sort of been tutoring and teaching as well. Um, and you get to learn through watching and working with students as well. And it's continually inspiring you by seeing what they do and working with younger people, I think is always great uh, for that, um, for keeping you wanting to do it. Um, I think the truth is I just don't think I could do anything else. I mean, okay. if I was going to do something else, I would literally have to go to the Caribbean and learn to be a scuba diving instructor and not be anywhere near the industry. I'd have to do something that I couldn't, that took me away from it because I think I've grown up in it. So my heart is in it so much that I, I don't think I could would want to do anything else i mean i enjoy doing other things but you know ultimately i this is all i want to do okay you know and talking about creating you were saying you're making a doctor who voiceover can you tell me a little bit about that yeah um so um yeah i, I uh work for a company called big finish or they employ me occasionally which is nice both as an actor i've worked quite a bit as an actor in some doctor who adventures over the years and um Avengers and um, uh, Diary of River Song, another Doctor Who adventure in Gallifrey. And um, they very kindly have uh, employed me to direct for them. Um, I, uh, a friend of mine had written a, 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 an original series called Shilling and Sixpence Investigate, um, which was basically sort of Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Agatha Christie is the best way I can describe it. And it starred Celia Imrie and David Warner and the writer Nigel Fares after seeing a play that I directed, really wanted me to direct. And I was like, I've never directed audio. I've done it like, as an actor, but I've never directed it. And he really championed me to do it. And Big Finish allowed me to do it. And since then, they've uh, allowed me to direct um, some of the Doctor Who range. And um, I've uh, finished a trilogy uh, that's just come out. Um, the last one, I think, was a couple of months. Oh, no, July. Yeah, last month. Um, with Sylvester McCoy and Jessica Martin. And I've done another one, which is coming out in February. Uh, again with Sylvester McCoy, um, which is a prequel to one of his sort of uh, most famous episodes, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, and it's a prequel to that um, with Ian Drury in it. Who's uh, coming? Sorry, Ian Reddington um, and Chris Jury. Sorry, Ian Reddington, and Chris Jury, who were in the original TV show in that episode thirty years ago. So we got them all back thirty years ago, which was great fun, and I got to cast some actors that I know in it as well, and uh, James Dreyfus as well. Um, and that's coming out in February, I think, next year. And that's very exciting because it's also written by the same writer 
as that TV episode 30 years ago. So I think it's going to be, I mean, it, it was hilarious um, <laughs> uh, recording it. Very funny, very weird, very creepy and Doctor Who-esque. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I'm excited about that to come out. I'm, I'm yet to hear it, um, to uh, work on it. But, yeah, we recorded it earlier this year and I'm looking forward to doing that soon. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for coming in today. Sarah. Thank you very much for having me, Kira. It's um, been a pleasure. Where can people follow you if they want to keep up? Um, well, I suppose on um, on Twitter is my uh, middle name, which is at Josh Twain. My middle name is Joshua Twain. Um, fun fact, I'm related to Mark Twain. Um, and his real name is my name, Samuel Clemens. <laughs> so I thought I would uh, have a little, I'd keep my middle name for Twitter, so at Josh Twain. Or um, I think Instagram, I'm getting better, um, which is Sam JT Clemens. You can find me on there. Um, and I'm, uh, I've got my, me and my brother direct films together. So we've got a website, which is clemensbross.co.uk, uh, um, which we're up, we need up to update at the moment, which we are. And I'm doing another one for myself as a director as well, which will be available soon. Okay, perfect. Thank you very Thank much. You.